And it was described by Rijksmuseum Taco Dibbets as uh, a now or never Rijksmuseum opportunity. What? You mean he's Rijksmuseum uh, director, isn't he? You're missing a word. Yes. Yeah. It's Friday, May 12th, and this is the Dutch News Podcast, your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands. I'm Paul Peters, Master Student in Civil Engineering, as my blanket fortress is collapsing. Oh, good. Wait a minute. Yeah, mine is imminently going to collapse. Yeah, are, are you in fact um, with the Russian army in Bakhmut? <laughs> <laughs> no, I can confirm I am in Delft <laughs> and not in Bakhmut. Even though uh, you w- you couldn't tell with all the blankets uh, exactly, covering yeah. me now. Uh, yes, it's uh, May 12th and this is the Dutch News Podcast, your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands. I'm Paul Peters, Master Student in Civil Engineering and Westminster Ice Skater. And with me today is uh, Gordon Derek, contributing editor at Dutch News and hat critic. Yeah, we are finally reunited, uh, Gordon, after... Yes. Um, uh, Three weeks, I think. Yeah, after being uh, kept apart uh, in Bristol and uh, Seville, um, I yes. was somewhere very, very wet. You were somewhere very hot, I think. Um, yeah. I'm not quite sure who got the better end of the deal. But anyway, uh, we are now back uh, t- t- together again. Yes, finally, yeah. at yeah. last. <laughs> um, yeah, I think we should we can start with your job title, Hat yeah. Critic. What, it's, what is that about? Yeah, we've both got um, uh, job titles relating to the big news event of last weekend. Uh, the, yeah, for some people, the biggest news event of the last 70 years, which is, of course, the, the coronation yeah. of King Charles III. Um, yeah, the, the, My the, assumption was that you were going to try to ignore it as much as possible. I was. That was the whole, <laughs> the whole idea. I was, I was trying but to you couldn't. trying to stay away <laughs> from it. And then I sort of thought, um, half a, midway through Saturday morning, I thought, actually, um, I should m- 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 I should kind of watch it with my, uh, or at least with my eldest son, who was a bit interested in it. And I kind of thought, I remembered how people, growing up in Britain, people would talk about you know, the, the last coronation and how it was like a big event in their lives. It was when they bought their first television. People would kind of get yeah. together with their families. I thought, if people are still talking about this after 40 years, 50 years even, 60 years, there must be something about the way this family wear hats that's really special. And I wanted to tune in and find out what it was. So, yeah. Um, but it was, for, for me, really about about hats and, you know, uh, basically uh, Charles having a, a funny hat put on his head um, that had belonged to uh, another king years ago. Um, Camilla getting a, a different hat that she didn't have a custom-made hat because usually they do have their own crown made for them, Queen's Consort, but uh, they decided they wanted to slightly more pare down more kind of a rationalized ceremony so she got um i think queen mary's hat from the start of the 20th century so yeah so that was it so uh, but i I watched about like sort of an hour of it i think i didn't watch the whole ceremony um Mm. but i think you were probably more invested in than i was and one particular um badge uh, stood out for you didn't it (laughs) That's right. That was a uh, seamless seamless, uh, transition into my job title. Um, Yeah, I watched the entire thing. It it is a piece of history, uh, though, because every time you read about some sort of uh, English king, uh, it says he or she was coronated at this and this date. And uh, yeah, this is probably going to be a piece of history as well. So I think uh, you did did wise to to at least uh, invite your your son to watch it, Mm. Um, even though it wasn't probably as... A uh, bigger thing, I, th- I think, as uh, the last coronation, because that was that was literally the first live broadcast ever. It was the first and live television th- broadcast. The the other ones have yeah. been broadcast on radio. I'm not sure how good 
a coronation is for radio, but I, I guess back in the 1930s, that was the only <laughs> option, wasn't it? But yeah, it, yeah. yeah uh, and now come to think of it, um, um, I, I, watched, I also watched Eurovision, yeah. which was also a live broadcast, and I think... Um, we could have done without that particular live broadcast. So uh, <laughs> yes. I blame I blame Elizabeth II for for <laughs> for this dreadful event called Eurovision. You blame her for bringing televisions into our lives, yeah, which culminated in Eurovision. Yes, yes, she she did more damage than John the Mole. Yeah, or um, Jerry Springer. Yeah, yeah. Mm. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, going back to my job title, uh, King Willem Alexander was also a guest at the coronation, which was a breach of protocol because usually heads of states aren't welcome there. Hmm. Um, but he you're not stood out. To stage the king, are you? Because the fact that he yeah, is, because yeah. technically, because Willem Alexander is 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 uh, a more senior king than than Charles is. He hmm. he he actually outranks him right now. Yes, which is yeah a bit of awkward, a, a little bit awkward at Charles's coronation. Hmm. Uh, but I think they dropped that uh, that piece of uh, 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 particular protocol. Yeah. Um, but Willem Alexander was there and he was wearing all his uh, ribbons and all his distinctions and one of them stood out uh, that was the, the last one uh, the, uh, on this, uh, on this uh, long line of, uh, of medals mm. and that was his uh, Elfstedentocht medal yeah. because he um, uh, when he was younger, I think it was in 1997 he uh, raced, he ice skated the last Elfstedentocht um, and uh, he finished it and he, uh, he won um, yeah, there's this little medal hmm. um, which you get when you complete it. It's 200 kilometers ice skating uh, event, yep. uh, which people are still. Yeah. So yeah, in Friesland, of yeah. course, in the elf, elf cities of eleven cities of uh, Friesland, uh, people are still excited about that. But um, yeah, I went to Seville, and uh, it was uh, clear that uh, um, the climate is changing a little bit. Yeah, so yeah, uh, yeah. it might have. Might have been the last time in 1997 that it was uh, actually held. Yeah. Uh, but it has been turned into an official distinction, this Elfstedentocht medal. So he can wear it along his um, the military William Order and the uh, uh, Order of the, um, of the Garter and um, uh, along all these, uh, yeah... Mm. Pretty famous uh, medals. Uh, there is also a, a tiny one, and that's the Elfstedentocht medal. I do like the fact that the Elfstedentocht finishes medal has the same status as like the the Order of the Garter of um, you know all these kind of grand centuries old royal distinctions. I think it's really quite a lovely yeah. touch. Yeah, and probably it's the only medal Willem Alexander actually uh, deserved, uh, <laughs> apart from being born in the in the right uh, 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 cradle, I yeah, guess. Yeah, that, that was um, his father's old, 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 old line, wasn't it? His because um, uh, uh, Prince Klaus also did the Elfstedentocht in his time, and he he said that his Elfstedentocht finishes medal was the only uh, the, the only honor he'd actually done anything to deserve. Yeah, yeah. yeah there was the the Nijmegen Vierdaagse. Uh, that's also an official distinction, yeah. uh, and it was also included on. When he was buried in 2000, when was it seven or something? Uh, you had all these medals on this uh, little cushion on his coffin, and this tiny one, uh, uh, which he got for completing the Vierdaagse in Nijmegen, uh, was also there. So yeah, that's yeah. Um, they, they are very proud on, uh, of these uh, these types of. Um, uh, accomplishments, which uh, they should be. So they should be, because King Charles has never f- finished an ice skating marathon. So that's that's another. I don't think he did. Yeah, it's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> probably a bit, little bit too old to uh, to, uh, to 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 uh, still do it. Yeah. Um, 
So yeah, that uh, brings us, I think, to the uh, op of the week. Uh, this time it comes from Amsterdam, and it's not because of the announcement that the capital is going to double its import of Roman garbage, mm. nor the plan that citizens can adopt an underground dumpster. We had a lot of op from the for the capital to choose from this yeah. week. Um, the real op is, though, that uh, the city's officials have given the green light to a giant cable car, which uh, will connect the western port area with Amsterdam North. Um, if you're not unfamiliar with the geography of uh, of Amsterdam, that neighborhood, Amsterdam North, it's isolated from the rest of the city by the I waterway. Uh, it's only connected uh, by two motorway tunnels, I think, and uh, several pedestrian and bike ferries. And, 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 uh, and the metro line now. So Oh, and a metro line, of course, yeah. yeah. So, I, so, uh, so it's not really cut off that. at all, but uh, they, they, they always make a point of saying it is. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, you're right. Um, but there have been calls to build uh, two new bridges uh, for decades now, and the city is planning to construct one at the eastern side of the eye, but that would leave the west uh, with the same problem. And uh, that is now going to be solved with a new cable car, um, which will include 100-meter-tall towers to allow cruise ships to pass underneath. So uh, even Jeff Bezos so- couldn't scupper this one. <laughs> Even Jeff Bezos can sail underneath it. He yes. passes yacht through underneath the cable car. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, the city uh, insists that the crossing, which is called the Eibahn, will not be a tourist attraction, but a serious alternative to the ferry network. It will probably be able to carry five and a half thousand people per hour, uh, including bikes. Uh, and it might be possible that a plan to build a cable car rings a bell because dubious city councillors and shady businessmen in almost every medium-sized town have proposed one in the past decades. Uh, someone on Twitter, uh, his name is Tim de Boer, has uh, dived into newspaper archives to map all cable car proposals and has found 107 of them, including in Roosendaal, Emmen and Vlaardingen. Um, all of these plans, with the exception of the Floriade of Almere, which was a great success. Huge um, success, yeah. Th- yeah. <laughs> uh, all these uh, cable car plans failed and never left the initial phase, but Amsterdam will become the only city that is crazy enough to actually build one. Yeah. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but aren't cable cars usually sort of, uh, built with the idea of uh, taking people up mountainsides and that kind of thing? Yes. Than, yes. <laughs> <laughs> It was something uh, we, yeah. we were distinctly short of in the Netherlands. So, and yet there yeah. have been a hundred, more than a hundred plans for cable cars around the country. Yeah. Did, did yeah, you go yeah, through this thread? Did you did one stand out as being a particularly bad proposal to you? That's uh, out of the hundred and seven plans. Uh, oh, well, let me see. Um, yeah. Well, I I remember I come from Rosena. I remember yeah. there was a plan to um, connect the uh, outlet center with uh, with the train station. I believe with the cable car. That one has always uh, stood out to me. But um, I always also saw one. I mean, uh, there were there are. It, it's a type of plan that Richard de Moss would come up with, yeah, right? Sure. Uh, yeah. uh, he he didn't, but uh, um, I, I definitely can see him. It's only uh, proposing time, it. Isn't it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, a, a cable car in Paterswolde. Who would need that? <laughs> uh, uh, the, uh, a cable car in, uh, oh, what was the other one? Maasbracht. Right. Where, where is that? I don't yeah, even know. Exactly. Lottem in 2012. 
who 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 I mean it is in Limburg so if there is a place where you can That's find something that resembles feasible, yeah. a mountain yeah. it is Limburg but yeah we don't need that uh, or, no. or, or how about Leiden can you imagine a cable car in Leiden no, what earth I, you want a cable car in Leiden where, where would that even go I mean Leiden's got a tiny yeah. city center uh, it was also a proposal by GroenLinks which is not the party I would uh, uh, associate with that uh, it, sh- it would connect Bioscience Park, so I guess that's some sort of business park okay. with, the, uh, with, the, with the train station, yes. So, again, um, um, every medium-sized town had at some point... Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, it was uh, aspiring uh, to become uh, the Netherlands' uh, first cable car. SAR proposal. Yeah. So, Amsterdam has the, uh, has the uh, dubious... Um, the dubious distinction, yes, of, uh, of now actually uh, trying to get one of these products uh, off the ground. I can see this being. I mean, if, if you remember how long it took to just get the um, uh, the, the North South line finished, uh, the, the the underground, uh, the underground connection, which which really was, you know, um, useful and necessary. Uh, I, I'm skeptical about um, whether we're going to see a cable car above Amsterdam anytime soon. It's been one of these projects that just drags on for about twenty years and then gets quietly abandoned. We will see. Yeah. It is. It is. Um, they are. The city council is very hopeful that it will succeed. So. Okay. This week, Interpol has launched an operation to try to solve the murders of 22 European women, including nine cases from the Netherlands. Formation processes in the provinces are still underway. Hundreds of container homes remain in storage because in a shocking turn of events, nobody wants them. The Netherlands failed to qualify for the Eurovision finale. Feyenoord is likely to be the winner of the Eredivisie and we speculate to which island a vulture will probably be exiled. Police in three countries have launched an operation with Interpol to try to solve the murders of 22 women over the last 50 years who have one thing in common, they've never been identified. The Identify Me campaign was launched with a powerful video presented by actors and artists including Carice van Houten and last year's Eurovision finalist Steen. It's the first time Interpol has issued worldwide black notice alerts to police forces about the cases which they use to seek information about unidentified bodies. Could they be your long-lost friend, your cousin who disappeared, or your colleague? Give these women back their identity, is the message of the video, of the two-minute video. The 22 victims were killed in Belgium, Germany, and the Netherlands. Police believe some of the women may have died in other countries, possibly in Central or Eastern Europe, and their bodies were then dumped here to hinder the investigation. Quote, most of the 22 victims died violently and some were also abused or starved before they died, Dutch police spokespeople Karina van Leeuwen and Martin de Witt said in a press statement. So, yeah, what, what sort of cases are we talking about? So there are nine Dutch cases altogether. There's seven from Belgium and six in Germany and uh, they go back as far as 1976. Uh, that's also the youngest victim who was a girl or a young woman aged between 13 and 20 whose body was found in a parking lot beside the A12 in Arnhem. Police say she may have come from Germany or somewhere around the Czech border and may have been malnourished towards the end of her life. Um, another woman who was found in a ditch in Amstel Fane in 1995 was wearing a distinctive bracelet that police hope will identify her. Uh, one victim died in a fire on a houseboat in Amsterdam in 1998 and the remains of another were scattered around the city's canals and recovered in 1992. And what can people do if they think they have information that might be useful? 
Well, first of all, there's, uh, there's a lot more information about the cases, including photographs or the scenes and reconstructions of the victims' faces on Interpol's website, which is interpol.int, and we'll include a link to that uh, in our line notes. The police haven't shared all of the information publicly, but they hope that what they do share will jog people's memories, perhaps about friends or relatives or colleagues who disappeared suddenly years ago um, and may have been one of these victims. If you think you've got relevant information, there's a form on each page that you can fill in and send to the relevant National Police Force uh, so they can uh, uh, follow up their inquiries. But but in some cases we don't know if, if these uh, victims are actually Dutch or Belgium or German, right? No, some of them they think either they moved to the Netherlands from uh, from other countries uh, in the course of their lives or possibly they'd never been here during their lives and uh, it was just um, I think it seems to be I think the implication that some of these women may have been trafficked or maybe involved in, in crime prostitution and, um, and, and, and then uh, that they were just simply disposed of. I mean, some of the references to malnutrition in particular are really shocking. That they, you know, mm. suffered from uh, abuse uh, towards the end of their lives before they were before they were murdered as as, as, as well. So these are all quite, you know, uh, quite 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 shocking and horrifying cases in in some uh, situations. And uh, the police have so few leads uh, that it's uh, they don't even know, of course, who these women are and, uh, like you say, where they're from. I mean, obviously, they can see from the DNA profile quite often what sort of ethnic origin they have um, and or what sort of part of the world they may have um, they may have been born in but um, yeah uh, except, often even their nationality is um, it's a bit of a grey area It's been two months since the provincial election so uh, let's take a look at how the formations of new coalitions are going Admittedly every other year we would completely ignore them and the only reason why we are interested now is the fact that their outcome might have serious implications for the national coalition. Following the devastating election results for his party, CDA leader and foreign affairs minister Wopke Hoekstra has said that he wants to push the coalition's nitrogen deadline of 2030 to 2035, effectively reopening the coalition agreement which took one and a half years to reach. After several days of crisis meetings, it was agreed a couple of weeks ago that Hoekstra would wait with formally requesting a renegotiation until the outcomes of the provincial formations and the farmers' agreement. And after all, the provinces are themselves responsible for drawing up plans to reach the nitrogen goals. Yeah, so how are the formations across the 12 provinces progressing? Um, have we got any sign of white smoke? Um, not yet. They are still underway in uh, in all uh, tw- twelve provinces. Uh, remember that newcomer Bay Bay Bay, the farmer citizen movement, uh, which was founded specifically in protest of the nitrogen plants, took the largest share of the vote in all provinces, and therefore had the initiative in forming new coalitions. Um, in some provinces, this is going better than the other. Deze um, Sester was in- excluded from all initial talks by Bay Bay Bay, but GroenLinks was uh, invited surprisingly often and this week it was announced that in Noord-Holland for example BBB and GroenLinks can probably overcome their differences. Um, These parties have uh, diametrically opposed views on a number of key issues such as the buyout of farmers to reach emission targets but their leaders in Noord-Holland said they are prepared to make compromises and this is also the case in Overijssel and uh, yeah this shows that the polder ain't dead yet because yeah uh, yeah, I, I I wouldn't have thought that uh, BBB and GroenLinks would work together in uh, at least two of the 12 provinces. Um. Yeah, I guess the, the arithmetic in some provinces makes it sort of inevitable. With all, rather, the BBB can't shut out GroenLinks and Dezesestig, um, and so they've decided to, yeah, they'd rather have GroenLinks. Um, 
for whatever reason. But yeah, it is kind of interesting to, to see what kind of uh, compromises they come up with, particularly on the farm buyouts, because Baby Bay have drawn this red line, basically, saying no forced buyouts. Yeah. So we'll have to see. But yeah, in other cases, in other provinces, it's been um, yeah, uh, uh, harder going, hasn't it? Yeah, for example, in Utrecht, uh, there too, BBB became the largest party, followed by GroenLinks. But talks between these two parties have stranded on the same issues where the two parties are willing to make compromises in North Holland. An alternative coalition of seven parties, including uh, BBB and without GroenLinks, was proposed. But this fell apart the same day after ChristenUnie refused to take part. They dropped out after JA21 refused to drop its pledge to block any new wind turbines and uh, dismantle existing ones. GroenLinks and VVD have now appointed a new verkenner who will try to find a coalition that will work but without BBB. So good luck to them. Yeah, good luck to them. <laughs> I mean, the, the fact that you know, the, 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 first, um, uh, the first proposal was a seven-party coalition tells you everything about how difficult it is to form, you know, form, gov- form, yeah. form administrations in these provinces. Yeah. And it has to be said that large coalitions isn't uncommon in provinces. Usually they, um, these are five or sometimes six uh, party coalitions. Uh, they like to um, uh, have a coalition as broad as possible, sometimes even when it's mathematically unnecessary to mm. include a new one. Uh, uh, sometimes uh, uh, as many parties are taken on board as possible. Um, but still seven is, I think, um, yeah, um, unprecedentedly high, yeah. unusual mm. high. Yeah, it's very exceptional indeed yeah and uh, meanwhile there's still negotiations going on as well with the farmers groups uh, so how's that going yeah that's going with ups and downs uh, this week there was a major ophef after an interview in the telegraph with deze 66 mp cheerte groot he told the newspaper uh, the signature of the largest farmer lobby group lto on an on a possible agreement would be worthless <laughs> but does cheerte groot just wake up every morning and just think how can i troll the farmers today because uh, he just seems to be on on a mission to uh, kind of uh, sabotage any kind of uh, prospect of a deal. Yeah, right. I, I, I already call him Polaritiert because uh, because of his polarizing uh, uh, statements all the time. Um, as you said, the, the Goat is a very outspoken supporter of the nitrogen plants and has angered farmers multiple times. For example, by suggesting that the number of livestock in the Netherlands should be reduced by half. And um, after the first initial... Uh, package of, of, of anti-nitrogen emission uh, uh, measures was announced. Uh, the Groot commented that this was only the starter of a seven-course dish that the uh, the farmers uh, can expect. So no, he's not the yeah. most a seven constructive. Seven-course seven vegan uh, vegan banquet is that what he's uh, yeah without he's any meat, without anything. Yeah, and uh, do you know what he what his uh, what his uh, uh, job was before he became an MP? Um, was he? Uh, did, did, did he did he work for uh, Little Willies or something? For, 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 for <laughs> the the vegetarian slager? No, 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 no. Uh, he was uh, he was the chair of the uh, dairy f- lobby group. Uh, oh, really? He, and, he, and in that capacity, he had called to expand yeah. uh, the number of uh, milking cows uh, uh-huh. several times. So right, which he is has kind a, of a, yeah, so which is sort of uh, one of the main uh, con- uh, the, the things that's contributed to the problem. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So uh, yeah, he he is a uh, he's a chameleon that can uh, that can change his opinion uh, depending on uh, who's paying him at that uh, moment, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, or, or perhaps he feels deep deep regrets and he's now taking it out on the on the on his former former colleagues. You should become a data sister spin doctor, Gordon. <laughs> 
His latest statement uh, naturally angered the lobby group who called uh, his comment disrespectful and they demanded an apology from the Goat who said the next day in the Tweede Kamer that he was sorry and he didn't mean to address the LTO directly even though he directly addressed the uh, LTO with his comments. I don't know why why do they keep uh, apologizing with these sort of comments? I mean, that doesn't make any sense. Um, If an agreement between the government, farmers, environmental groups and others will be reached, uh, remains unclear. The LTO has previously set a deadline of, I believe, May 15th or 16th or something. Um, Otherwise, they will pull out of the negotiations. Yeah, which is uh, next Monday. So... Yeah, so the clock is ticking. The clock really is ticking, yeah. Hundreds of modular homes that were ordered by the housing ministry as a short-term solution to the housing shortage are stuck in storage because councils are unwilling to place them. The state property service, Rijksvastgoedbedrijf, ordered 800 of the temporary structures in December, but they're still sitting in a warehouse in Utrecht. The housing minister, Hugo de Jonge, wants to make the homes available to people who need somewhere to live quickly, such as students, people who are moving out because of a relationship breakdown, and refugees with residential status. But house builders say councils are dragging their feet because of worries about planning objections or local protests, while housing corporations have doubts about whether they can meet the cost. The cabinet has set a target of building 37,500 temporary homes by the end of 2024, but just like Hugo de Jong's last major project, the coronavirus vaccines, <laughs> it's running behind schedule. In fact, you see more and more parallels the more you look into this, I think. Yeah. Only uh, 3,400 of the 7,500 structures planned for last year were completed, and in the best-case scenario this year, 12,000 will be built, well short of the target of 15,000. But Hugo de Jonge is now hoping to solve the problem by providing financial guarantees. And in any case, he said, we are not going for a symbolic brick. <laughs> Actually, didn't say that last thing, but... Uh, no, he didn't. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, there was a debate in the Tweede Kamer this week about the Binnenhof bowing. Yeah. And I thought, uh, let's watch it because, yeah, I wanted to know about the updates. There were only two MPs present there, so it's not something that uh, lives as lively as... It's not a burning as, issue, uh, you know. Yeah. No, not at all. Um, uh, but Hugo Jong is very... He explained why uh, the delay happened. They need all sorts of extra technical um, uh, spaces for additional um, yeah, machines and uh, climate... Uh, 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 oh, right, uh, yeah, uh, no, I mean, yeah, yeah. Uh, and also, and also, because of because they need so much more space, uh, uh, they need to uh, 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 dig much further than the expected, and that will probably result in even more archaeological finds. And they also need yeah. an extra nitrogen permit for these extra heavy machines. Oh, and he explained, yeah. yeah, yeah, and he, he was he was explaining that. I was like, I was like, he, he can explain this very well. Mm. He he should. Uh, uh, I mean, he has a background in teaching, of course, uh, and uh, I thought he did very well on 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 that part. Yeah, um, yeah he's, he's very good. Hugo de Jong has to say uh, at explaining why things aren't happening, and I guess uh, he's yeah. got a lot of experience <laughs> in that as well. So that's not a surprise. Yeah, that's right. Um, but um, going back to housing, there is better news for people who are trying to get on the housing ladder, right? Uh, there is better news, yeah, uh, because uh, houses are becoming more affordable. But the, the bad news is that that's because, uh, well, nobody can actually afford them <laughs> any longer. So uh, yeah. first-time buyers are coming back into the market, which is pushing prices down, especially in the major cities. In uh, According to figures from the Cadaster, which is the land registry, in Amsterdam, Rotterdam, The Hague and Utrecht, prices dropped by 8.2% year-on-year in the first quarter of oh. 2020. 
Yeah, it was a steep drop and uh, compares to a fall of just 0.8% in the rest of the country. I mean, the average home in a city is still more expensive at around an average of €480,000, but 58% of properties were sold to first-time buyers last winter, which is up from 50% a year earlier. And because they got less money to spend, uh, that's making homes yeah, more affordable. Mm. Although I guess it's not still just as difficult uh, if you're trying to get on the housing ladder uh, to actually uh, find something because, of course, you've got to borrow more and that's because of yeah. rising interest rates which uh, obviously uh, mean that uh, banks are restricting how much they, they can lend um, a year ago you could get a mortgage for 405,000 euros if you earn 71,000 a year but to get that much now you'd have to be earning 81,500 which is according mm. to calculations by the National Mortgage Guarantee Service so yeah a real squeeze on uh, house prices but I guess um, yeah not before time in some ways yeah and speaking of people being squeezed out there's been a setback for the so-called dark stores which uh, sound much more um uh, 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 sinister than uh, it actually is. Much I more think. sinister than they really are. Yes, the, the darkness has been banished from the centre of Amsterdam. Uh, these are the blacked out shops that started popping up around the city, well um, uh, all cities and towns really, a few years ago and became very popular during lockdown when of course uh, real shops were shut anyway so there was a proliferation of the kind of shops that brought the goods to you which were yeah. essentially their miniature warehouses in residential areas that guaranteed to deliver within minutes so, however, local residents weren't happy because the stores caused a lot of noise nuisance, especially at night, with uh, deliveries coming and going constantly. They blighted the look and feel of the neighbourhood, and the pavements became cluttered up with uh, delivery bikes and scooters. So this week, the city council in Amsterdam has voted to restrict the location of the stores to edge-of-town warehouses. Groenlinks councillor Nienke van Rensen said it's fine to earn money, but not at the city's expense. However, the venture capitalists who funded the stores are challenging the policy in the courts. Florian Brunsting, director of Getir and Gorillas, which are two dark store chains, said their business model would be jeopardised if they had to be based so far from their customers. And Getir is contesting a €20,000 fine and in order to close a store in De Pipe, which was refitted last year to look more like a regular supermarket. Yeah, and they uh, applied the the the, the Brexit uh, supermarket uh, strategy, right? Just yeah. uh, put uh, what was it? Images of, uh, of fruits and vegetables uh, uh, in the windows, um, yeah. and to uh, <laughs> to make it appear there was uh, actually fresh uh, fresh yeah. food uh, in inside, on the shelves. Inside the shelves are empty, just like in uh, in Brexit land. It's time once again to say thank you very much to all the fine and discerning patrons who keep this podcast on the rails, for better or for worse. It does take time and effort for us to make these podcasts, and every euro or dollar that you can spare does buy us more time to dedicate to helping you make more sense of the culture and political goings-on here in the Netherlands, uh, as well as keeping up to date on uh, Hugo de Jong's latest uh, shoes and failed projects. <laughs> And as well as your support, we also really appreciate your questions. So if uh, if you're an existing patron who's got a burning issue you want to highlight or you'd uh, like to join our select band of supporters, you can do so by logging on to www.patreon.com that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash dutchnewsnl some uh, short news now, uh, beginning with Eurovision, because in totally expected news, the Netherlands did not qualify for the Songs Contest finale on Saturday for the first time in eight years. 
Despite the overwhelmingly terrible quality of the other 14 entries, Mia and Dion did not manage to win enough votes to secure a place in the top 10 of Tuesday's semi-final in Liverpool. The duo's performance of uh, Burning Daylight was beset by problems in recent weeks, mostly because the duo turned out uh, not to be able to sing, mm. um, and the song was altered in the run-up to Eurovision week following a number of disappointing performances. It raised questions about how the Netherlands selects its Eurovision entry, but it has to be said that um, this method has been very successful for the past eight years, yeah. right? Uh, we even won the contest at some point, and all the entries that were selected uh, by this method um, went to the to the to the uh, to the finale. So yeah, I mean, we had a runner-up as well, I think. Uh, um, yeah, so so yeah. just to say that uh, yeah, this is uh, we should we should. Yeah. And as I'm uh, saying this, there are some construction works going on. I thought I could hear something uh, in the background. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so uh, if you are uh, annoyed by that, my apologies. Um, it's not Mia and De Jong who are uh, <laughs> giving a <laughs> concert tuning up in the corner of the street. Your window. No. Yeah. yeah, and this is probably, probably more tuneful than their, um, their performance <laughs> as well, actually. Yes, uh, so I don't think that uh, we should uh, uh, abandon this method because there is one disappointing entry. Um, we'll see how this that will turn out. Um, so um, the NOS did find several far-stretched ways to claim Dutch success in Liverpool, though. Uh, for example, the Estonian song is co-written by a Dutchman. Mm-hmm. The guitarist of the Slovenian entry is half Dutch, and Finland has a Dutch background dancer. So uh, you can. Uh, <laughs> that's a, yeah, that's probably the best one. Yeah. Well, yeah, I wonder if you, they, can spot they, the, you can spot the Dutch dancer in the background. <laughs> <laughs> he probably has an Elf State of Metal uh, hanging <laughs> exactly. on his chest. Um, yeah, no, it was literally the opening of the of, of the NOS um, news this morning. Yeah. Um, so yeah, they are very happy that they have found these sort of ways to um, still celebrate. <laughs> Dutchness in Eurovision. Yeah. Um, moving on, school exams have started on Thursday, and this is the first time since 2019 that 137,000 secondary school pupils will take normal exams without the more flexible rules about failing introduced during the pandemic. Some teachers uh, say, however, that pupils are still suffering from the impact of lockdowns and school closures. In 2020, the exams were scrapped altogether, and in 2021 and 2022, pupils were given extra options for retakes, and they were allowed to drop one subject. As every year, school pupils union LOX has opened a complaints phone line for pupils who want to report problems with their exams. And uh, the exams will take place in the coming two weeks, I believe. Yes. And uh, Gordon, you have uh, first-hand experience with them, right? Yeah, well, uh, m- one of my children is uh, yeah, is doing his exams uh, this week. Um, yeah, I have to say, I've, I'm uh, yeah, I've, I'm, I'm quite astonished that uh, they're, they're, they're trying to say that the effects of the pandemic are are all over and we're back to normal because I think it's quite clear uh, to if you speak to anyone who's got uh, children in school, especially uh, yeah, getting towards the end of school, that it's, it's that there are still catching up from the lessons they missed during the pandemic i mean bear in mind that we lost effectively i mean my son started school um as a, he's now in his fourth year and in all of the first three years were disrupted by lockdowns oh, um, yeah. so it's you know it's bound to have an effect really and the idea that you can kind of and also i mean the money that's been pledged by the government to uh, for kind of catch-up lessons and measures to mitigate the fact that uh, you know children have fallen behind their education that money still hasn't actually been made available schools aren't you know haven't actually put anything in place so the idea that you know on the one hand 
they, 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 they've caught up and they can just sit there as hands as normal. And on the other hand, all of the things the government recognises that they need extra support and yet haven't actually put it in place um, just makes no sense to me. Yeah, and 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 um, so uh, your son has uh, dis- had disruptions in seventy five percent of his uh, secondary school career. Yeah, uh, but even the VBO um, pupils, uh, the, the 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 highest level, uh, they had seen um, in fifty percent of their school career disruptions, yeah. which is also uh, a lot. Yeah. So yeah, um, um, as you say, it is. Um, unfair to to claim that uh, all the effects have been uh, uh, ironed out because yeah, yeah. that's uh, clearly not the case uh, does your son have uh, the right um oh geodriehoek though did yeah, you I check believe, that i believe he does although actually yesterday you, you make a good point because yesterday we were um uh, we were preparing for his maths exam which is today and uh, yeah there was something with a geodriehoek that uh, uh yeah that we struggled with because um, it, um i think he may um uh, yeah it was something where you kind of needed the round one you know the the the, the points oh. of the one the points of the compass and uh, yeah, yeah he he didn't have it so i don't know so you but have to run to uh, that does actually measure properly, and not the one yeah, that uh, yeah. Hamer, um, that, which I think is what you're alluding to, not the one that Hamer issued and that caused massive yes. WAPF a few years ago. Um, and then the last uh, story in this segment: the Rijksmuseum in Amsterdam has announced it will expand its opening hours well into the night to allow more people to visit the extremely popular blockbuster Vermeer exhibition during its last weekend. Uh, people can sign up for the 2,600 extra tickets on uh, June 2nd and June 3rd until 5 p.m. on May 12th via the Rijksmuseum website. So you probably missed After- it if you're listening to this because it is May the 12th. That's right, but uh, <laughs> you might still have an hour. Yeah. Um, after and uh, yeah, uh, um, then a computer-generated random selection process will select the the lucky ones, which uh, sounds uh, a bit of a um, yeah. Well, uh, just uh, as long as they don't use the same algorithm uh, that, uh, that the blasting dinks use to identify <laughs> potential fraudsters um, for, on, on childcare benefits, because uh, yeah, then we're gonna have even more opf. Yes, indeed. Um, the exhibition which includes uh, 27 of the 37 works of the Dutch 17th century master painter Johannes Vermeer opened in February and was sold out in three days. It was described by Rijksmuseum director Taco Dibbets as a now or never opportunity which united the master's paintings from all around the world. Uh, People who win the last open lottery will be notified by email on May 16th and will have a chance to buy a maximum of two tickets for an evening start time ranging from... um, 9.30 9.30 to uh, half past midnight. Half past midnight, yeah. So if you're coming from across the country and you're allocated a half past midnight ticket... Yeah, better, be better book a hotel or yeah. pr- preferably not an Airbnb. Sports news. As at Alkmaar, we were looking to reach their first European final this week since 1981 when they were beaten in the UEFA Cup by Ipswich Town. How times change. Wow. Uh, yeah, yeah. Exactly, yeah. This year they faced another English club over two legs, West Ham United. Tiani Reinders gave Pascal Janssen's side the lead just before half-time, but West Ham came back with a penalty from Said Benrahma, and then Mikhail Antonio poked home in a crowded penalty box with 15 minutes left to give the Hammers a slender lead to take to Alkmaar next week. 
And the Eredivisie is grinding towards its conclusion. And uh, I believe the Cole Single is uh, preparing for a celebration, right? Yes, indeed. Uh, yeah, lock up your fountains because uh, Feyenoord can win the league <laughs> title on Sunday for the first time since 2017 if they can beat go-ahead Eagles in Rotterdam. They set themselves up with a hard-fought win at City rivals Excelsior at the weekend. Mexican striker Santiago Jimenez scored both goals in a 2-0 win and afterwards coach Ari Slot complained that Excelsior had decided not to water their plastic pitch to try to slow the game down. Accuse them of a bit of uh, underhand tactics there. Hmm. I didn't realise you had to water plastic pitches, but apparently you do. Uh, which makes me wonder why people have them in their back gardens. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At the other end of the table, the two most northerly teams, Cambuur Leeuwarden and FC Groningen, will be playing in the Koken Divisie next season after they failed to win their matches and so were relegated. Hmm. And in Groningen's case, it's the first time in 23 years they've uh, not been playing in the top flight. I was going to say that FC Groningen is, uh, is one of the names that you always see in the Eredivisie, yep. but uh, yeah. Nope, not next um, season, no. Will they have the largest stadium in the Keukenkampioen Divisie? I think so. Right? I think the Euroborg had to be up there, yeah. yeah. Um, I guess. There's an outside chance that Vitesse Arnhem could uh, drop down in the playoffs. So Gelderdome has 41,000 yeah, oh. during concerts. Yeah. 34,000 during sports events. And Euroborg has 21,000. So yeah, yeah Gelderdome would be larger. Yeah. Okay, and uh, there's also a quick update on Max Verstappen, right? Yeah, the, the, the most uh, successful Dutch uh, sportsman in the world, but no one really talks about him because it's, uh, I don't know, he, he, everyone assumes he's going to win the Formula yeah. 1 title again this year, so it's kind of uh, stopped being interesting. He, he did his best to make uh, the weekend Miami Grand Prix uh, a bit more interesting. Uh, lots of commentators complained it was a dull race, but I thought it was, it was quite good to watch. There was lots of overtaking and... Um, yeah, and Verstappen himself started from ninth on the grid and even dropped a place on the first lap, but then he cut through the field like a butterfly knife. For good measure, he overtook his teammate and main rival for the title, Sergio Perez, not once but twice. So he yeah. overtook him, <laughs> went in for a pit stop, came back, overtook him again, which sort of felt like an yes. overkill, really. So in the, all that means it was a fourth 1-2 for Red Bull in five races. Uh, Verstappen extended his lead in the Drivers' Championship to 14 points, and behind them, Fernando Alonso had a good drive in third, and Lewis Hamilton probably deserves an honourable mention and an Elstedetog pin for finishing 6th <laughs> after starting in 13th place yes have you been following it uh, closely this season? no not this season uh, sometimes yeah most races uh, I couldn't watch mm. uh, but last weekend I was able to watch it but I thought it was going to be an interesting race given the, the starting grid but quite early into the race it was uh, clear that Verstappen was going to win so yeah yeah I think after about four laps he'd already got up to third place or something hadn't he and you thought yeah he, he's just going to blitz this something like that yeah yeah so uh, yeah. yeah I'm just hoping that uh, other teams will have some successful updates which uh, can make the, the races more interesting yeah. the championship is I think already uh, a given it's a done deal isn't it really yeah yeah, so but at least we might have some uh, individual races that can be more interesting than this. Yeah. Uh, but still, if you're able to win so easily from the ninth place, then uh, you definitely deserve the world championship, uh, I think. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of work to do for the other teams. Yeah. So um, now the most uh, interesting story of this uh, podcast, I think. It hasn't been a great week for news, has it? No. But we've probably saved the best till last. Yes, that's uh, definitely the case. The young Griffin Vulture, which escaped from Blydorp Zoo in Rotterdam several weeks ago, has been recaptured in Germany, close to the city of Leipzig. 
The vulture was spotted in a garden and the owner called in a local birdwatching group, which in turn brought in an expert. And have you seen the photo, the German guy made? <laughs> Actually, I have to confess, I have not seen. I'm going to go and look at it now. You can go to live reaction. It's in the script, so uh, you can. You just have to scroll down. Well, the picture's in the script, is it? The picture is in the script, Oh, fantastic. Yes. Right, let's have a look. I can see the vulture. <laughs> yes. And his garden. <laughs> oh, the garden, yeah. Yeah, just imagine waking up, uh, opening your curtains, <laughs> taking a look at your nice little pond, and then yeah. all of a sudden see this enormous vulture <laughs> sitting this on huge the side long of it. vulture, yeah. Hopefully it doesn't have a, a very expensive fish in that pond, because then uh, it's had it yeah. wouldn't be a, a little less uh, fun surprise. Yes. Uh, but I, I really like this photo <laughs> of this vulture <laughs> sitting there. The expert that was uh, called in fed the vulture for several days to win its trust and then was eventually able to catch it. Blijdorp director Erik Zevenberger said he was glad the vulture has been caught and could be properly cared for. This could have all ended very differently, he told NOS Radio. Yeah. The vulture was able to escape after its enclosure was damaged by a storm in April and it's unlikely it will return to Rotterdam. The bird was born in Rotterdam but was destined to go to another zoo as part of a captive breeding program. And that's possibly a zoo on the island of Elba, I imagine. Right. Is this vulture called Napoleon by any chance? Yes, yeah. yes. Uh, the vulture found his, his Waterloo in... Uh, <laughs> Indeed, in, uh, in Leipzig, yeah. Yes. Uh, griffin vultures can fly hundreds of kilometers a day at a speed of uh, up to 70 kilometers per hour. Occasionally, wild griffin vultures from Spain have made their way to the Netherlands, usually when food is scarce over there. Mm. And last year, one made its home on Tessel for a time. So they are used to living on islands. So um, Elba might not be uh, such a bad idea for this particular vulture. Yeah, although if you can travel 70 kilometers a day, they're going to have to make sure that they clip his wings. <laughs> yes, Otherwise, he will land in the south of France, somewhere between Nice and uh, Marseille. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, yeah. And start a new campaign. Then they'll have to send him to St. Kilda. Even further away, yeah. yes. That's uh, all that we have for you this week. This podcast is a production of Dutch News, which can be found online at dutchnews.nl. We will include links to everything we've talked about today in the liner notes. You can get in touch with us by email to podcast at dutchnews.nl. If you want to help us out, please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating. You can also back us on Patreon at patreon.com slash dutchnewsnl and earn yourself a free shout out on the podcast. My thanks to Gordon Derek, and we'll be back next week. It was described by Rijksmuseum director Taco Dibic. I was distracted by his uh, by his first name. <laughs> um, it was described by Rijksmuseum uh, director Taco Dibic as a now or never opportunity, and united the master painters from all around the world. Uh, people who win the last um, open sorry, lottery. Sorry. I think you said united the master painters rather than <laughs> masters painters. You're still distracted by the tacos, aren't you? No, <laughs> I like the idea that he's, he's I'm getting hungry Reichs, I like the idea that he could be the Rijksmuseum taco like, he, like the <laughs> museum has an official you know uh, Mexican style crisp crispy snack <laughs>